Morning, church. Did I get that turned on all right? All right. <clears throat> My assignment today is to share with you on Matthew 10 as we continue our series um, going through the book of Matthew. Like all the other chapters, it's loaded with stuff. And so uh, God has given me three points to focus on in Matthew 10. And one of them, number one, is the authority of the shepherd. We're talking about shepherding people into the kingdom of God, not a pastor. We're talking about shepherds lead, and we're talking about shepherding people. This whole chapter is about sending out the 12. And number two is about the commission to fulfill um, the mission itself and how he empowered us to do that. And then the mission itself, he tells us how to, even how to do it. It's all right here in Matthew 10. So let me start with just the first uh, four verses there. We're going to try to go through this verse by verse. Um, I don't know if I'll make it or not. But Kathy just did a great job of reading it all for you. So Matthew chapter 10, let's pray first. Father, we thank you and praise you for your holy word. We thank you that you sent the living word, Jesus. We thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to inspire the written word. And so right now we invite you, Spirit of the living God, who inspired the living written word of God that's powerful and quick, to share it with us. You speak to us, Holy Spirit. You're the one who inspired this word. Give us insight. Give us revelation that we might be changed because the word is quick and powerful. That We might be more like Jesus when we leave than we were when we came in just because we sat under your word, your holy word that's quick and powerful. So, Lord, we thank you for the word of God. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring men. And we thank you, Lord, for those who wrote under your inspiration. And we just pray that your name would be glorified. I just pray for a spirit of understanding and revelation and faith to flow in amongst us today. And we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 10, 1 says this, when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And he names the twelve. Now the name of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew's brother James, and the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Leobus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, if I was Jesus, I probably wouldn't have picked those guys. Those aren't exactly the most upstanding citizens in the community. Um, Simon was a Canaanite. Um, he was a zealot. He was one who wanted to overturn the Roman government. 
he would probably be one today who would uh, line up a um, protest of some kind and lead it. He was that kind of a guy. Then there was Judas, who Jesus already knew he was going to betray him. And everybody's favorite was the IRS man, Matthew. You know, they used to charge people too much taxes and pocket the, what the government didn't ask for. And there's a bunch of smelly fishermen. Now, these aren't, you know, the people that you would think that he would want to go forth as the foundation of his church and start his church. But Jesus delights in taking people like that and like you and I and doing something with them. Because then everybody knows that this can only happen because of him. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm going to read a couple Old Testament scriptures to you in Numbers. Um, the first one is found in Numbers 13, 17. And then I'm going to tie that together with what he's saying here in Matthew um, very quickly. So Numbers 13, 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up the way, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people that dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities are inhabited, all like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or there is not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time of the season of the first uh, ripe grapes. So right here, Moses is sending out 12 disciples into a hostile land. He's sending them out into a land that he wanted them to conquer, a land that would become the kingdom of Israel in the natural. Then in Numbers 27, we read this. As you all know, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. So he's looking for a replacement. So Numbers 27, verse 16. But the Lord, the God of the spirit of all flesh, set a man above the congregation, who may go out before them and go in before them, and may lead them out, of, out and bring them in. That the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom the Spirit is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. The word inauguration, inaugurate in the King James means commission or appoint or give charge. So that's what that was all about. Moses was given Joshua his authority and commissioning him to shepherd the people, to lead the people in conquest into this hostile land. And that was Joshua's job. It was very much like a military operation of today. Um, you know, we have to understand that we're in a battle, amen? It's a battle between light and darkness. A battle between good and evil. It's the longest battle, the war ever. <clears throat> so just as Moses gave Joshua his authority and commission for God's mission, so Jesus here in Matthew 10 is giving his disciples 
authority and commission for God's mission. So let's go on and read in Matthew. We're already down to verse 5. Can you imagine that? 5 to 8. Remember, this whole text is about sending them out. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So right here, um, you can see that nothing has changed. We're fighting the same holy war today that the disciples were. And he tells them just how to do it. He says, tell them the kingdom of God is new. Preach the kingdom of God. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. And this war has been going on. It's the longest one in history between light and darkness, between good and evil. Joshua's conquest was one of death and destruction against the evil Canaanites. This was a land that God gave now to Israel, but they had to go in and possess it. They had to get rid of the enemy. And Jesus' conquest is one of destruction also, but it's one of destruction of the works of Satan. We have to go in, you know, God gave it to us, gave it to Adam and Eve, the human race, and then Adam gave it to the enemy, and Jesus came to buy it back, to buy us back, to redeem us. 1 John 3.8 says this, First John chapter 3, verse 8. <clears throat> he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, listen, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And the devil uh, has got his own agenda. And we can find that in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, The thief does not come except, this is why he comes, this is his purpose, to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. Jesus fixed it. <laughs> Now, what's he want to steal? Does he want to steal your house? No, I don't think he's interested in your house. Does he want to steal your car? Oh, gee, I'm a, I crossed the line now. What does he want to steal? He wants to steal your joy. Because the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 8, is your strength. And then he wants to kill your hope. Because hope sets the goal. If you have no goal, you have no target. Amen. 
So he wants to steal your joy and kill your hope. And if he's successful to steal a Christian's joy and kill your hope, then he's successful in destroying your witness. Because if you have no joy and you have no hope, you're not going to witness for Jesus. That's the devil's agenda. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and you might have it abundantly. Amen? Amen. It's not just talking about having money or something like that, prosperity. It's talking about life in Christ, love, joy, peace. You know, having that kind of a life. Prosperity is part of it, but it's just one little part of it. Some preachers make that the whole thing. Amen. So the mission is very clear. It's to destroy the works of the devil and to establish the kingdom of God in the earth. You know, we pray all the time, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we really mean that? You know, we are to be all about establishing the kingdom of God in the earth and destroying the works of the devil. And how do you do that? You heal the sick. Every time you heal the sick, darkness loses. Every time a convert is one, the devil loses a, con- uh, a convert. We're all born in his camp. Why would he put cleansing the leopards in there after he said heal the sick? You ever think about that? That's in there because leprosy is not something you can take an aspirin for and it'll go away. Or you can take some penicillin for it and it'll go away. Leprosy is a... Everything, there's nothing impossible for me. Did I break something? I'm good at breaking stuff. (laughs) So he's just saying that it doesn't matter what the disease is. You know, I got this. We just have to believe him. He really didn't leave much for us to do. He's done everything, provided everything. All we have to do is believe him and act on it. So I want to read a quote. I have a couple of them today. I don't do much of that. But these were such good quotes um, that were made available to me from Peter J. Lightheart from his book, Jesus as Israel. This is what he says. The apostles' method of mission manifests the nature of the kingdom, the lifestyle of the kingdom. The apostles' method of mission manifests the nature of the kingdom and the lifestyle of the kingdom. Dear saints, this is normal Christian life. Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. That's everyday Christian life. It's the lifestyle of the kingdom. To reinforce that, let's look at John 14, 12. Everybody's familiar with that scripture. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. 
how are we going to do greater works than Jesus? The work itself isn't going to be greater. We're just going to do much more of them. He was only here for three years. And he did so many things that even if um, the books couldn't contain everything, if everyone was written down. But now we are, Christian means little Christ. We are all walking around with Christ in us. Christ is the anointed one of God. So you're walking around with God's anointing inside of you. Hallelujah. And you have the full counsel of the word now, not just the Torah. And you have the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus did everything. He saw what the Father wanted to do or heard him. And then he just acted on it and the Holy Spirit did it. And he'll do the same thing for you. But he won't make you do it. You have to act on it. Somebody said to me one time, you're different, you just do stuff. <laughs> if I don't step out, God's not going to be able to do anything. Amen? He's not going to force me to step out. When he says surely there, he's talking about, that's a word that means uh, it's firm. It's a trustworthy, it's a so be it kind of a thing. Surely, you guys, um, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will do also in greater works than these. They're just going to be greater because there are going to be so many more of them. Think of all the Christians that are around the world. If we were all doing this, walking in the Spirit of God, being led by the Spirit, when we go to the grocery store, you know, sometimes I go to the store and I run in, I'm not a shopper, and I want to get this thing, and I'll just go get that and get back out of there as quick as I can before I spend some more money. Don't take long to spend money at the grocery store. Drives my wife crazy. She likes to shop. So she's just getting warmed up, and I'm already out to the car. So, you know, we need to understand that what he's talking about here. He gave us authority to shepherd people into the kingdom. Because shepherds lead. We lead people to Jesus. He gave us a commission to take that gospel, that good news, to the ends of the earth and to establish his kingdom. That was the mission for the twelve, and that's the mission for all of us today. It has not changed. Jesus hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The mission is the same as it was then. Of course, this can only be accomplished in the power of the Holy Spirit. We all know that. And God basically emptied heaven for us. As I said earlier, he gave us um, his word. He gave us the living word, Jesus. He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what he's asked us to do. He never tells you something to do that he hasn't already equipped you to do. Amen. So God has basically emptied heaven for us. He's done everything. All we need to do is step out. That's very exciting to me that I don't need to plead with God for something else. He's already given everything I need to fulfill my part of the mission. We all have a part in this mission. And so, you know, if that don't excite you, 
If that don't light your fire, I'm sorry, but your wood's wet. <laughs> that should get you lit up. We've already got all the equipment we need to just go after it. Hallelujah. So let's continue. We're already down to verse 9. Wow. There's only 42 verses. So we're just going to read verse 9 and 10. He's giving him some more instructions here. Provide well, neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs for a worker is worthy of his food. What's he saying here? He's saying, look to me for your provision. Don't look to man. I took care of your forefathers in the wilderness for 40 years. Yeah, they did a lot of grumbling, but I fed them. I gave them water, took care of them. There's a scripture in there that talks about and their shoes didn't wear out. For 40 years, they walked on the same pair of sandals. Think about that. Hallelujah. So he's telling them, don't worry. Look to me. Trust me. Verse 11 to 15. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a house, hold, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if, if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. And I surely I say to you, there's that word of surely again, it will be more tolerable for that land, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So <clears throat> he's talking about how you'll be received here. A house is worthy. It's a place that somebody is hungry for the word of God. They want to learn. They, want to, they embrace the word of God. A house that's unworthy is one or not suitable is one that rejects that. He's saying if you come to a house like that, when you leave, just shake off the dust from your feet, which in that culture was a sign of rejecting. So you're rejecting the one who rejected the word when you do that. So doing this mission of mercy, what can we expect going forward? What could the disciples expect? And what can we expect? Verse 16, there's begins to tell us about that. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of the men, for they will deliver you up to councils, scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So you have an opportunity to share. And when they deliver you up, don't worry about how, about how or what you will speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks. <clears throat> so here he's talking about we're going to probably receive some persecution. Now, persecution in America is not... Um, as prevalent as it is in some other places that I've been. But what they're doing in America a lot, it's increasing for Christians here. What they're doing in this country a lot is they're attacking religious freedoms. There's something in the courts all the time 
where they're trying to do something. They're taking the nativity scenes out. Oh, you can't do that at Christmas time. You can't say, um, pray in the name of Jesus at a public thing anymore. These kinds of things. You know, Ivana Trump got in all kinds of trouble because in uh, some meeting she was at, she prayed the Lord's Prayer. Got in all kinds of trouble for that. I mean, she's supposedly in the highest position of a lady in the country, and they rag on her because she did the Lord's Prayer. So let's continue. So it's going to get worse. Uh, verse 21, uh, let's go all the way down to 26. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and the father his children, and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So it doesn't look like this is going to be a rose garden. When, the perse- when they persecute you in this city, Flee to another, for surely I say to you, you will not have have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. So right here we can see that um, to fulfill our mission of destroying the works of the devil and establishing the kingdom of God in the earth, we're going to need to be courageous. We're going to have to trust God rather than fear men and what they can do. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You know, they called him Beelzebub. Beelzebub was a Philistine god that the Jews used to, um, uh, for the devil. So when they were calling him Beelzebub, they were calling Jesus the devil. <clears throat> All right. Verse 27 and 28. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear... In the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So what he's saying here is what you've learned in private, what I've shown you in your devotions, let's say, or in your private time. You know, Brother Steve Miller has got some tremendous, um, he keeps a journal of things that the Lord says, which is a, be a good practice for all of us. And some of the things are just really wonderful. I always get excited when he's going to read um, about that, what the Lord has said in his journal. So what you learn in private, he says, fear not, preach it from the housetops. See, we have to understand in that culture, that's how public announcements were made. You went out on the housetop and you stood there and you yelled out the announcement. If you do that today, they put you in a rubber room. But that's the way they did it in that culture. So he's just saying, if I teach you something in private, uh, don't be afraid to go out and say it. And I'm going to share something with you that he shared with me in private in just a few minutes. 
All right, verse 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, remember, this is in the context of sending out the twelve. And he's just told them a few verses back, he's going to send them out as sheep among wolves. In other words, and they're going to be persecuted. You know, he shared all this with them already. So he's sensing they're probably a little fear in there. They're probably a little scared. So he's telling him this because he wants to calm them and reassure them of their value. He wants to assure you of your value this morning as well. You are a blood-bought child of God. You're a joint heir with Jesus. You're a royal priesthood. Fear not. You know, the anointed one of God lives in you. You have the Holy Spirit, the full counsel of the word. When you wake up in the morning, the devil should tremble. You have that much power, each one of us. You don't have to be some big TV preacher. Anybody who knows Jesus and filled with this spirit. Fear not is mentioned 95 times in the Bible. 72 times in the Old Testament and 23 in the New Testament. It's very clear he doesn't want us to fear because fear leads to worry. And when you begin to worry about things, it becomes a torment of fear. It just torments you. You know, some of you may know people, uh, like I knew somebody once, they were a professional worrier. They worried about everything. Is the sun going to come up in the east this morning? You know? Is it going to rain this month, or this week, or this day? Am I going to have rent for the Friday? Worry about everything. And then they would pray their worry to God. Don't pray the worry, pray the word. Don't pray the anxiety, pray the answer. It's all in the Word of God. Hallelujah. Fear not is, our fear is a tool of the devil. And I have my own definition of fear. This is just me, but fear is faith contaminated. It's, the reason I say that is because if I want to be healed of something and it's serious, and I fear that I'm not going to be healed. I have more faith in that disease than I do in God's Word and His ability to fix it. You see what I'm saying? It's still faith. It's just faith in the, that's misappropriated in the wrong place. It's fear that's contaminated. Faith that's contaminated. I have more faith in a disease than I have in God's ability and His Word to fix it. So it doesn't matter what it is. That's why leprosy is in there. That was an incurable disease. He says, just cleanse the leopards. Cleanse them. It's no big deal to God. You have to have confidence and trust in Him. I think in the body of Christ, we look too much to ourselves 
too much to our training sometimes and not enough to the Holy Spirit or just look to God and his word, what it says. And just do it, kind of a thing. All right, 32 to 33. <clears throat> Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus leaves no room for a secret disciple. Either you're for him or you're against him. There's no in-between. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no room for a secret disciple. And in the process of putting this together, um, he just told me, he said, go re read Matthew uh, 4.19. So I just turned over there a couple pages and says this, Then he said to them, Jesus, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he spoke something to me. And normally I wouldn't share this with you. But we just read that scripture a while ago that what I shared you in private, in the dark, don't be afraid. Go ahead and share it publicly. So I'm going to share it with you what he spoke to me. Just a phrase, but it really struck me. This is what he said. Remember, this is in the context of sending out the twelve, of destroying the works of the devil, of establishing the kingdom of God in the earth. Jesus said this. He says, I called my church to be fishers of men, but many of them have become keepers of the aquarium. He's talking about the church worldwide. He's called us to be fishers of men. And we need to feed the fish in the aquarium. That's what making a disciple is all about. Once they're saved, there's a lot of teaching goes on. All the rough edges come off. Sanctification process takes place. All that. So the fish in the aquarium need to be fed. But what he's saying is, instead of being fishers of men, see, before there's any fish in the aquarium, there has to be a fisherman to catch them and put them in there. Amen? And you don't clean the fish first and then catch it. You just catch it any way it is. God takes you just any way you are. He took me the way I was. And believe me, it wasn't good. And so, then he cleaned me, discipled me. First you have to catch them, then you clean them. And that really struck me. He took me over there just to tell me this. Isn't God good? He says, I call my church to be fishers of men, but many, not all, many have become keepers of the aquarium. Mm. You know, Jesus is all about, God is all about people. Think about the cross. <clears throat> He's hanging there with two thieves. They were guilty. He was innocent. What does that tell you? You can do everything right and still get crucified. You know, some of you have uh, family members who, um, you know, they were raised right, but they've not followed the Lord now. And it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong 
or that the other family's members, whoever the mom and dad were, did anything wrong. It just means we, they have a free will. And so you can do everything right and still have a problem. But the thief on the cross, one of them, after they were there a while, denied him, of course. And the other one realized this guy was the real deal. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So now, you know, this is still the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't ratified until Jesus died and rose again. So he's just about to give up the ghost. They didn't take his life. He gave it up for you and me. So he said to the thief, Today, today you will be with me in paradise. So the very first conversion of the new covenant was a criminal. Was he a, a one-time offender? Or was he, you know, somebody who had been done a lot of bad things? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But he was the first convert of the new covenant. Hallelujah. Verse 34 to 39. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it for my sake. He who finds his life will lose it. And if he loses his life for my sake, we will find it. Now this scripture has been taken out of context and used to bring guilt upon people. I'm sorry to say. So let me add some clarity and some balance to this scripture. Remember, this is in the context of sending out the twelve, of destroying the works of the devil, of establishing the kingdom of God in the earth. Okay? Jesus is not attacking family relationships here. Family relationships are one of the strongest ties that we have as his people, as human beings. But he's indicating that no earthly tie, no matter how strong, however intimate, should distract us from our loyalty to him and his mission. He's not saying to hate your mother and father. He's just making the analogy of the strong relationship that you have with them. And he's saying that your loyalty to me should be even stronger. You know, God is all about family. I mean, we wouldn't be here if he wasn't all about family. God wanted somebody to love and to love and to bless and to bless above and beyond all that we could ask or think. And he had nobody. Who was he going to do it? A horse? A dog? 
So he created us in his own image. He wanted a family to love and to bless. So he's all about family. He's the inventor of it. He's not talking against it here. He's just saying, you know, if you're sold out to me, that loyalty could result in um, some people are rejecting you and your family. And that's happened to a lot of people. Uh, verses 40 to 41. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Hallelujah. What he's talking about here is uh, being representatives. Uh, a representative is someone um, is regarded as the person. So as you represent Jesus in the world, as you represent light in the world, <laughs> you're representing him. And, uh, you know, there's a... Um, I made a typo in the next, it's supposed to be 2 Corinthians um, 5.20. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God's all about reconciliation. All of these things um, that he wants us to do, he's already provided by grace. Everything has been provided by grace. Even our faith. We were given a measure to begin with. And then we steward that measure just like we do our money. And some people are better stewards than others, and their faith is much bigger than mine. And so it just depends on us as individuals. <clears throat> So that's what he's talking about here, is being a representative. So we need to keep that in mind. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we are representing Christ and his kingdom. See, we're, because Jesus lives in you and me, Jesus, the Christ, is the anointed one of God. Because he lives in there, we're representing him wherever we go. He furnishes all the power. We're his ambassadors. So here we are, verse 42. Uh, and whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely I say, there's that word again, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now why did he put that in there among all of this other stuff? about his disciples and going out and destroying the works of the devil and all that. He put that in there. Uh, when you don't know something, you just ask him. You know, the Holy Spirit is the teacher. Just ask him. If you don't get an answer, you ask again. You keep on asking, you keep on knocking. Sometimes it takes a year to get in an answer. But he knows if you need an answer sooner than that. So, you know... The smallest act of kindness, like giving a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, is rewarded. If the smallest act is rewarded, as we do our part in fulfilling his mission, 
we can expect a reward accordingly to what he's called us to do. So he's given us his authority. This is the first of three closings. So he's given us his authority to shepherd people into the kingdom. He's commissioned us, given us the power to do that, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's made the mission clear to destroy the works of the devil and to establish the kingdom of God in the earth. Amen. Anybody agree with that? Amen. Amen. I want to read another quote in closing from uh, Peter J. Lightheart's book, Jesus as Israel. This guy's got some real good insight. He says this, The apostles were unique. The mission of the twelve was unique because it went to the lost sheep of Israel and they were given unique authority and power to carry on Jesus' mission among the people. But the pattern for our mission is the same, he says. The church still goes out in the authority of Christ. We are not all apostles, but we all have received the spirit of Jesus. And we are all called to participate in Jesus' shepherding. By that he means his ministry of healing, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons. This takes a different form today than it did then because we're in a little different culture. But it's the same mission. And we are all called to do it in our particular location. The twelve were the beginning of the new Israel gathered around their new shepherd. Now listen. They were the foundation of the church. And as the foundation, they show us what the church is supposed to look like. The twelve were the foundation of the church. And as the foundation, they show us what the church is supposed to look like. The church is not a community that has a mission. The church is a mission. Disciples of Jesus are not saved people who happen to have a task to fulfill. Being saved means being caught up in the mission of Jesus. For us as the disciples of Jesus, his instructions stand. Freely you have received, freely give. This is all about going out and destroying the works of the devil, setting up the kingdom of God in the earth. So the worship team can come. Lord, we thank you for your word. We realize that you've invested a lot in us. You've invested your word. You've invested your son. You've invested the Holy Spirit. And we're so grateful, Lord, for the tremendous investment. But like any investor, we understand that you're looking for a return on your investment. And so, Lord, help us to be fishers of men. We don't want to be keepers of the aquarium. We want to do that, but we want to be fishers of men as you instructed. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the authority to shepherd people into your kingdom. 
the commission empowered to do that commission and clearly laid out your mission was to destroy the works of the devil and establish the kingdom of God in the earth. Lord, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.